Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God, and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. The Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles and chapter number 6. 2 Chronicles and chapter number 6. As we begin a brand new year and we're putting an emphasis that with God all things are possible, we're also placing a great emphasis on prayer. We know that prayer is the vehicle that God has designed for us to talk with Him. And that the Bible clearly says that we have not because we ask not. Prayer is something that God has given to us to ask. And as we ask a big God who is able to do the impossible, we can watch Him work. And so from time to time in this upcoming year to encourage us about the idea that God can do anything, that nothing is impossible with God, that we're going to teach lessons on prayer to encourage people in their own personal walk with God, their own personal talk with God, to encourage them to continue to talk with God. And so we find our way into the book of 2 Chronicles in chapter number 6. The book of 2 Chronicles and chapter number 6. And if you don't mind, let's pick it up starting at verse number 12. The book of 2 Chronicles chapter 6, beginning at verse number 12, the word of God says this. And he, that Solomon, stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands. For Solomon had made a brazen scaffold of five cubits long and of five cubits broad and three cubits high and set it in the midst of the court and upon it he stood its <clears throat> upon it he stood and kneeled down upon his knees before the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven and said O Lord God of Israel there is no god like thee in the heaven nor in the earth, which keepeth this covenant, and showest mercy unto thy servants that walk before thee with all their hearts. Thou which hast kept with thy servant David, my father, that which thou hast promised him, and spakest with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thine hand, as it is this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David, my father, which thou hast promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in thy sight to sit upon the throne of Israel, yet so that thy children take heed <coughs> to their way to walk in my law, as thou hast walked before me. Now then, O Lord God of Israel, let thy word be verified, which thou hast spoken unto thy servant David. But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth behold heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee how much less this house which i have built have respect therefore to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication o lord my god and hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee 
that thine eyes may be open upon this house day and night, and upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldest put thy name there, to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth towards this place. Hearken therefore unto the supplications of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven, when thou hearest, forgive. If a man sin against his neighbor, and an oath be laid upon him to make him swear, and the oath come before thine altar in this house, then hear thou from heaven, and do, and judge thy servants by requiting the wicked, by recompensing his way upon his head, and by justifying the righteous, by giving him according to his righteousness." If thy people Israel be put to the worse before the enemy, because they have sinned against thee, and shall return and confess thy name, and pray and make supplication before thee in this house, then hear thou from heaven, and forgive the sins of the people Israel, and bring them again unto the land which thou gavest them unto their fathers. And when the heaven is shut up, and there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee. Yet, if they pray toward this place, and confess thy name, and turn from their sin, when thou dost afflict them, then hear thou from heaven, and forgive the sin of thy servants, and of thy people Israel, when thou hast taught them the good way, wherein they should walk, and send rain upon the land, which thou hast given unto thy people for an inheritance." If there be a dearth in the land, if there be pestilence, if there be blasting or mildew or locusts or caterpillars, if their enemies besiege them in the cities of their land, whatsoever sore or whatsoever sickness there be, then what prayer or supplication soever shall be made of any man or of thy people Israel when thou when every one shall know of his own sore and of his own grief, then spread forth his hands in this house. Then hear thou from heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and render unto every man according to all his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men, that they may fear thee to walk in thy ways, so long as they, give, they live in the land which thou gavest unto our fathers." Moreover, concerning the stranger, which is not of thy people Israel, but has come from a far country for thy great name's sake, and thy mighty hand, and thy stretched out arm, if they come and pray in this house, then hear thou from heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all the stranger calleth to thee, for that all the people of earth may know thy name, and fear thee as doth thy people Israel, and may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. If thy people go out to war against their enemies by the way that thou shalt send them, and they pray unto thee towards this city which I have chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from heavens, and their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause. If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and be, <laughs> thou be angry with them, and deliver them over before their captives, and they carry them away captives into a land far off or near. If they think but 
If they bethink themselves in the land, whether they are carried captive and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned and done amiss and have dealt wickedly. If they return to thee with all their heart and with all of their soul in the land of their captivity, whether they are carried away captives and pray toward the land which thou hast givest their fathers and towards the city which I, thou hast chosen and towards the house which I have built for thy name. Then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. Now, my God, let I beseech thee, thine eyes be open, and let thine ears be attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. Now, therefore, arise, O Lord God, into thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let the priest, O Lord, be clothed with salvation. And let the, thy saints rejoice in goodness. O Lord God, turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David, thy servant. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your, in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that is repeated seven times in this passage where God is placing an emphasis through the prayer of Solomon. And if you don't mind, notice these seven times this phrase is repeated in Second Chronicles chapter 6. The first one in verse 23, then hear thou from heaven. Verse number 25, then hear thou from the heavens. Verse 27, then hear thou from heaven. Verse number 30, then hear thou from heaven. Verse 33, then hear thou from the heavens. Verse 35, then hear thou from the heavens. And once again in verse number 39, then hear thou from the heavens. And with the Lord's help, we want to place emphasis where, the, where God places emphasis. And I would like to preach a message from here on prayer, dealing with the idea, then hear thou from heaven. Then hear thou from heaven. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's talk to this God in heaven together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God and for you allowing us this great privilege to teach on prayer. I'm asking that as we teach on prayer that we would understand this great vehicle that we have, this great opportunity to come and to talk to you. I'm asking that it would be clear and that it would be a great help that it would be a great blessing unto your people today. Open up this passage. Speak to hearts. And grab a hold of even somebody that needs this message now. Again, I dare not preach my own, my own thoughts, my own ideas. So the best I know how, I surrender myself to you. And ask that you fill me with your precious spirit. For the purpose that you get your own work accomplished even now. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. In Jesus' name. Amen. What a powerful phrase. Remember that anytime the Bible uh, says something, it's always important. If it's said twice, that means God wants you to pay attention to it. If it's repeated multiple times, it is something that God wants to place emphasis on. And here we could see a great emphasis on prayer and prayers being answered. The context of this is that King Solomon has taken some time 
to build a tabernacle or a temple for God. Remember that beforehand that they had the dwelling place of God, which is supposed to be a, a, a picture of God's presence among them, was in a ta tabernacle, which was a temporary dwelling place. That it was a place that traveled from place to place to place. But now Solomon has dedicated the temple which is built upon one of the mountains in Jerusalem, the threshing floor that David had um, sacrificed in to stop the plague. And now the temple is built, and this is a magnificent piece. It was considered one of the, one of the ancient wonders of the world. It was made to be the dimensions of the tabernacle just bigger and enhanced. And then it was overlaid with pure gold. And the idea of it was is that as people would approach Jerusalem, the sun would glint upon the, uh, the gold of the, of the temple and it would represent the presence of God, even afar away. It was a magnificent piece of architecture and a wonderful expensive piece to imagine all that gold placed upon it. And now as the temple is finished, Solomon is dedicating this. And so he builds some scaffolding in the midst of the courtyard. So that way he could address all the people. And he stands on the courtyard and dresses the people. Then he bows down on his knees, lifts up his hands. And out loud in front of everyone, he prays to God dedicating this temple, which again is supposed to represent the dwelling place, the presence of God among the people. And he begins to acknowledge that there's a God that's big enough to hear and answer prayers. Uh, let's skim through this really quick in verse 14. And said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in the heaven, nor in the earth. So he starts off by saying, God, there's no one that can match you. There's only one God that can hear and answer prayer. There's nothing close to you. You're the only God. We're talking to the God. The only God. He says, the God which keepest covenant. Now may I remind you that our authorized version has the ESTs behind it. This is because in English we only have three tenses. We have present tense, past tense, and future tense. I used to go to the market. I am going to the market. I will go to the market. So we have past tense, present tense, future tense. Well, in the ancient languages, they often would have uh, another tense, including this one, which is kind of the perfect case, which carries the idea of continual action. So not point action in time, but continual action. Now, because of English, we don't have that type of tense. The people who translated the Word of God into English, added this EST to several words. And what it's supposed to do is show emphasis of continual action. So notice this, if you don't mind, in verse number 14. And said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven, nor in the earth, which keepest covenant. It means God keepest his promise. Meaning he just doesn't keep one promise. He's continually keeping promises. It is a continual action. Aren't you glad that God doesn't just keep one promise and say, there you go? But he's someone we can trust to always keep his promise. He is consistent in that action. Notice as it continues to go on. And show us, notice that EST, he continually show us mercy unto his servants. Aren't you glad that the mercies of the Lord are new every morning? Great is his faithfulness. That we can't outuse his mercy. There's not a limit. Aren't you glad for that? 
Oh, what a wonderful God that we have. That he will continually, without stop, keep mercy. And that's what we need because we fail God every day. I'm a pastor, but let me tell you, I fail God every day. And there's a God who continually keepeth mercy unto thy servants and walk before thee with all their hearts. Then he talks about the promise that God gave to David and now God is going to continue to fulfill that. Pick it up with me in verse number 18. But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heavens of heaven. Did you know that there's more than one heaven? The Bible describes three different heavens. There's the heavens of the atmosphere where the birds fly. There's the heaven of space where the planets and stars is. And then there's the heaven of heavens. That's where God dwells. And that's why we kind of look up uh, when we, <laughs> we just imagine heavens. And so here it's saying, God, you don't dwell with the birds. You don't dwell in outer space. You are even too big for even the heavens of heavens. God is that big. He says, I know I'm building this tabernacle, but I'm not expecting you to pack your bags and live in here. I'm not expecting that we can knock on your door and bother you. Hey, God, are you here? Can we have... He says, you're too big for this. This is just a representation, a picture of your dwelling among us. I know that you are bigger than heavens. By the way, did you know that the Bible says that God is so big and so perfect? He has to humble himself just to look at heavens. We're trying to get there. But God is so big and so perfect and so mighty that he humbles himself just to look at heaven. And so Solomon is placing emphasis that this is a big God. He is an amazing God. He is bigger than any problem you'll face. He is bigger than any situation you'll find yourself in. God is big enough to handle anything and everything you go through. Aren't you glad you serve a big God? Aren't you glad that you can't go up to God and God says, Whoa, 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 that's way too much for me. I can't handle that. Aren't you glad you could go to him for everything? He is that big. And Solomon again is out loud praying. And he's talking and he's acknowledging what a big God he has. And then he goes through and says, God, I'm, ex I'm expecting you to answer this prayer. And then what happens is that Solomon acknowledges seven different prayer requests that we can have confidence that God will answer. You know, that's always good to know God's will and to know what to pray for and have confidence that God will answer it. Here, as Solomon is praying, he's acknowledging there are seven, seven specific instances that if we pray, we can have confidence that God will answer. Now, that sounds like something that would be an encouragement. Wouldn't you like to know, according to God's word, what prayers that you know without a doubt that God will answer? If you don't mind, let's take some time in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter number 6, and let's explain these seven, seven different instances where we know and have confidence that this big God who's able to answer prayers, this God who shows mercy, will answer prayers. If you don't mind, the very first one we want to see is this. Here's the prayer. When we have a, need a dispute answered. When we have a dispute that needs to be answered, this is one instance where we have confidence. When we have a dispute that needs to be answered. Notice with me in verse number 22. If a man sin against his neighbor 
And an oath be laid upon him to make him swear. And the oath come before thine altar in this house. So what it's doing is it's covering an incidence that two people are having a disagreement. They're having a dispute. Now I'm sure that's never happened to you. I'm sure that everyone that you met has always got along with you. And you never had a disagreement. And you never had a problem with uh, them keeping their word. But in case you ever run into that place. Here's a promise here. That if you ever run to a dispute, you have the privilege and the opportunity and the responsibility to go to God and trust Him to settle that dispute. You know, it's amazing how people can get an argument. Have you ever seen two people who believe the same thing and have the same thing, but they're saying it in a different way? And the people are arguing between themselves? And they're getting madder and madder at each other because they're trying to get the other one to disagree, to agree with them. And they're actually saying the same thing in a different way, but they're not hearing each other. Or maybe there's been a time where the neighbor did you wrong. They borrowed your lawnmower and they brought it back and it's broken. And you try to bring it up to them and they said, I, it wasn't broken when I had it. And you have a dispute. You know, it's things like that that ruin relationships. It's things like that that sometimes cause bitterness. Maybe you have a disagreement with the boss at work. And the boss wants you to do this. And you just have a problem. Maybe you're accused of something. You understand there's disputes all over the place. And how we handle disputes show how we trust God. Can you trust God with that dispute? When you have a problem with another person. What does the world usually do? They fight. And they fight and they fight. They're going to show that other person that I'm right. And you're either by brute force or trickery or something. And they're going to prove to everyone that I'm right. And what this does is it rifts. It tears. It causes damage. And it brings a bad testimony. But we as Christians, we as believers, people who believe in God. We have another alternative. We can trust God with the dispute. Notice, so verse 22 sets up the scene. That we have a sin against the neighbor. We have a problem with the neighbor. We can't agree. We can't get this nailed down. What can we do about this? Verse 23. Then hear thou from heaven. So we could bring that prayer request to heaven. And trust that God will hear us. And do and judge thy servants by requiting the wicked. By recompensing his way upon his head. And by justifying the righteousness. By giving him according to his righteousness. What this is saying basically is that God. I'm going to trust you with this dispute. And you take care of it. And God can take care of it. You know it could be something as simple as God speaking to another person. And they coming back and say you know what I've been thinking about it and I was wrong. Let me fix that lawnmower for you. And you say, how did that happen? Because you trusted God. You were able to trust God with it. God is able to work on people's hearts a lot better than you can. You may think that you have the most eloquent speech, but it's very limited. You'll find that we have never convinced anybody by debate. When's the last time someone said, my whole life changed because I saw a Facebook post. That one post, I realized I was wrong and I changed everything. That hasn't happened. Because it's not our words. But God is able to work things. Do you know that sometimes you may be wrong in a dispute? I know that may be hard to believe. But maybe you're the one that's wrong. Do you know that God can work on your heart? If you say, God, I'm trusting you with this. 
And God says, all right, I've been waiting for this. Let me show you what you need to do. I was wrong. And you're allowed to get things right. We're able to trust God and God could break, work through it. Maybe you got that broken lawnmower and say, all right, God, I'm not going to fight with my neighbor on this. I'm going to trust you with this. And maybe God can allow that thing to be fixed. And so instead of having war with your neighbor forever and ever and ever until one of you move off, you're able to forgive them, get along with them, and not allow this to be a rift by saying, God, I'm going to trust you with this dispute. And God gives us an assurance that God will hear from heaven. We have a way out. We can trust God with any dispute. You have a problem with your wife? Cheat and go talk to God. Wives, you have a problem with your husband? Cheat and go talk to God. Go to his boss and say, God, you take care of him. I'm not, I can't deal with him anymore. You deal with him. And God could do a lot better of dealing with others than what you can. We can trust God with a dispute. We could trust God that God will work it out. And we don't have to live all of our lives losing sleep. Why does he do this to me? How does he fix this lawnmower? Maybe you know some people that are pretty aggravated because someone has a dispute with them. And that consumes them. That's all they're thinking about is that one person has a disagreement with them. Maybe that's happened to you. Well, may I encourage you that you have a way out? You can trust God with a dispute and have confidence that he'll hear from heaven and he'll take care of it if you just allow him to deal with it. And so this is the first one, that when we need a dispute answered, we can trust that God will answer that prayer. Here's a second prayer request, that every time we pray that God will hear, it's when we need to get right with God. When we need to get right with God. Notice with me in verse 24. And if thy people Israel be put to worse because, before the enemy, notice this, because they have sinned against thee. So here's the scenario. God's people have sinned against God. And so God is putting consequences in their life to get their attention. So maybe someone has sinned and they don't realize they sinned. And God's trying to get their attention and say, hey, you need to get this fixed. And so he's put consequences. He's put things in their life to stop them. Maybe there's someone who knows that they've done wrong. And they're seeing the consequences unfold. God is saying, all right, if someone's in that case, they're not right with God. They've sinned. They haven't got things right with God. Now there's consequences. Notice what can occur. Verse 24. And if thy people Israel be put worse before the enemy because they have sinned against thee and shall return and confess thy name. Now remember this word confess is something found in the Bible. When we confess our sins, we're not telling on ourselves. We're agreeing with God with what he already knows. It's almost like a parent dealing with a child. They said, did you do this? The reason why they're asking the question is not to get the answer. They already know the answer. They're trying to get the child to admit that they did wrong. When we confess, that's what we're doing is we're admitting to God we did wrong. He already knows. But if we confess God, we confess his name, confess that God, you're right, I'm wrong. And pray and make this supplication before thee in this house. Then hear thou from the heavens and forgive the sin of thy people Israel. And bring them again into the land which thou givest to them and their fathers. So here's the principle. If anyone has sinned against God, they've messed up. 
At any time, you can ask God to forgive you, and he will. You know, there's some people that are afraid to get right with God. They say, I I'm so far away. I've done so many things. I'm so far away from him. How could God accept me back? Because he's a great God who's plenteous in mercy. And every time you ask, every time you say, God, I messed up, forgive me, God will. Isn't that a great thing? Now, we're not talking about someone who refuses to get right. We're talking about someone who realized, I messed up. Any time you go to God and ask for forgiveness, he'll give it to you. There's never a time where someone will say, God, please forgive me. And he says, no, I'm not. Forget it. Aren't you glad every time we try to get right with God, he'll forgive us? That's a prayer that you can have confidence that God will always answer to get right with him. So we start off that anytime we have a dispute that needs to be answered, God will hear from heaven. And he will answer. Anytime we're sinning and we're wrong with God, anytime we want to get right, he will forgive us. What a blessing. What else do we understand here? Not only when we need to get right, but when we need to know how to stay right. If you ever get tired of messing up, ever get tired of sinning over and over and over, well, you know that God can help you with that too. God wants us to be right. He just doesn't just say, all right, we'll try to do better. If we ask him, he will help us. Let me see, show you in the text. Notice with me in verse number 26. And when the heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee, yet if they pray towards this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou did afflict them, then... Hear thou from heaven and forgive their sin of the people. Now it's again, it's piggybacking on this stuff that you pray to get right. But notice as God continues with this. And of thy people Israel, when thou hast taught them the good way, wherein they should walk and send rain upon the land that thou hast given thy people for an inheritance. So here it's adding to it that anytime we need to get right, we can talk to God and God is willing to forgive us. But God doesn't want us to say, I'm, I messed up, and then go back and do the same thing again. That God wants to also teach us the right way, what we should do, and get back into being obedient to him. God often would withdraw the reins from the people. Remember, they lived in a desert society that was agricultural. They were dependent upon the rain. So the quickest way to get people's attention was to stop the rain. And then the people had to depend on God. Because none of you can make rainfall. You have to have God to let it fall. And so God's saying, I don't just want you to get right. But I want you to get back in obedience. I want to show you the right way. And as you're getting obedient to him, God will bring the rains back. God wants to show us the right way. And so another prayer request we could pray. Not only to settle disputes. Not only to say, God... I'm wrong with you. I need to get right. But say, God, teach me to walk with you. Teach me the right way. And God says, no, no, no. You got to find it on your own. God wants you to know the right way. So that way you'll walk therein. He will show you. If you're willing to humble yourself and say, God, I want to do what's right. Show me what's right. He will always answer that prayer and show you. That's some pretty good stuff. 
That's a good confidence that we can have. There's also another prayer request that we can have in here. Again, you could see a lot of these weave together. There's a Another principle, a fourth principle that we can see here, is when we need to know what we did wrong. When we need to know what we did wrong. Notice with me as we pick it up in verse number 28. If there be dearth in the land, if there be pestilence, if there be blasting or mildew or locust or caterpillars. Now all of these are serious consequences. Things that God used in the Bible over and over to get people's attention. If their enemies besiege them in the cities of their land, whatsoever sore or sickness there be, then what prayer or supplication so, uh, soever should be made of any man or of thy people Israel, when everyone shall know his own sore and his own grief, and shall spread forth his hand in this house, then hear thou from heaven and thy dwelling place, and forgive, and remit, render unto every man according to his own ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou knowest the hearts of the children of men, that they may fear thee to walk in thy ways, as long as they live in the land which thou givest unto our fathers. So here, God, if we ever come to a place where things are happening in our life, and we say, God... Is there something I need to fix? Is there something that I need to adjust? God will tell you. See, we have a type of God who doesn't like to play games. If you want to know what you did wrong so you get it fixed, he's not going to make you guess. He will always be willing to show you because he wants you to get right. He will show you so every man will know his own sore. He can know what's causing this. And then verse number 30, he says something very important where he says, He will render unto man according to all of his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou only knowest the hearts of the children of men. Now this is important. God knows the hearts of the children of men. The Bible says something very important about our hearts is that our hearts are evil. They're deceived. They're desperately wicked. The Bible goes on in Jeremiah to says, who can know them? Do you know that there are times you don't even know your own heart? There may be some time where you think, you're doing right. I know I'm right. I know I'm right. And God puts something in your way just to show you you weren't right. Because you were following your heart. Your heart can lie to you. Your heart can deceive you. Your heart can fool you. Following your heart, I don't care what Disney says, is not always the best way. Following the Bible is the best way. Because there are hard times your own heart will lie to you. Has your feelings ever lied to you? Was you ever convinced that someone hated you and they didn't? But you lied to yourself and convinced that they were out to get you? Where you thought something about a person, they looked at you wrong, they really hate me, they're trying to get me. And they didn't, maybe they were just looking at something else. Maybe they were just looking at the trees or something. Your own heart will lie to you. And there are times that you don't know it, but God knows the hearts. And he will be willing to show you what's the right way if you're willing to go to him and say, God, you tell me what's right. If I'm doing something wrong, show me. He is willing to show us what we did wrong. He's willing to guide us so we can be right. What a great God that he is. The purpose of what God does is not to harm us, but it's to help us to fear him and to follow his ways. Verse 31, why did all of this happen? That they may fear thee to walk in thy ways as long as they live in the land. God sometimes does things in our heart, in our life, 
Because our heart's leading us the wrong way. And he wants us to be corrected so we could say, God, we want what you want. We want what you would have for us and to follow after him. Again, Solomon's praying and he's listing seven different prayers that we can have confidence that every time we ask, God will answer. Whether it's to settle a dispute, whether it's to get right with God, whether it's to know what we did wrong or how to stay right with God. We also see another important prayer request here. What's another confidence that we can have? When others need to see that our God can hear and answer prayers. When others need to see that our God can hear and answer prayers. Notice with me in verse 32. Moreover, concerning the stranger. So this is a non-believer. In specific case, a non-Hebrew person. So someone who is not following after God. Someone who is a stranger to God. Someone who is away. Which is not of thy people Israel, but is come from a far country for thy great name's sake, and thy mighty hand, that, and thy stretched out arm. Meaning what God can do. God's hand. God's stretched out arm. If they come to this house and pray, then hear thou from heavens, even from thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth. Notice this. Do according all to the stranger calleth thee for, that all the people of the earth may know thy name. And fear thee as doth thy people Israel. And may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. This is a fantastic piece of of promise here. The Bible says we're supposed to gather up the prayer request of non-believers. What can I pray for you on? Then we take those prayer requests and we pray to God... And God hears and answers their prayer. And when God hears and answers their prayer, they say their God is real. You understand how the world judges if our God is real or not? By answers to prayer. Based off of your answers to prayer, do people around you know that your God is real? We should be a praying people that are always seeing our prayers answered. Because we have a God who's willing to answer prayers. We should be a type of people that people know. People who aren't even saved know that they can come to us and give prayer requests. There are so many times when an atheist comes to me that I've been working with. And they'll come to me and say, can you pray for me? An atheist. Someone a couple months ago said, I don't believe in a God. Someone said that there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. You put enough, God puts enough pressure on anyone, they'll say, they'll start looking for any type of help. This is one of the reasons that when we go out soul winning, we go knock on people's door and we just say, we're from Riverview Baptist Church. We're going around the neighborhood trying to find out how we could be a blessing to you. What can we pray for you about? Now, what this does is it shocks them. First of all, we're not trying to get something from them. We're asking how to be a blessing for them. Most people aren't expecting that. But then if they give us a prayer request and then God answers that prayer, they go, there's something to that. Their people's real. If you could forgive the personal illustration, um, (laughs) where I pastored before in Tennessee, our church folks have done that. And I remember going door knocking during the week and I met a man and he says, hey, last year a couple of your church folks came to me and I had a piece of property I'd been trying to sell for five years. And your church people came and asked, how can I pray for you? And I said, well, I need to pray for this property to sell. 
And they prayed for me right then and there. He says, within that next month, that house had sold. He says, I never forgot it. And now a year later, I came back and I happened to run into him. And he was ready to get saved. Why? Because he saw that our God was real. This is a promise we need to hang on to. Because God wants to answer the prayer, even if they're fantastic and silly and crazy. Because God wants to show them that our God is real. And if they realize their God is real, they'll be willing to accept what God says about salvation. Sometimes our most effective ways of reaching people is by prayer. By grabbing their prayer request. And watching our God answer their prayers. Then as we follow up, they are ready to hear. Sometimes when we first go up there and say, let me tell you, you're a sinner and you deserve to go to hell. Well, I don't know what you're talking about and they don't want to hear it. But they're a little bit more receptive when they see that that God is real. We're just not talking about theology or something we read in a book. We're trying to introduce them to a real God who is big enough to answer prayers. This is why in the book of Isaiah that God puts an emphasis that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. That God has designed His house in the New Testament days. It is the local church. It is made to be a place where everyone around here should know this is a place where you come and give prayer requests and our God hears and answers prayer. Unfortunately, Christian people have failed and most houses are not known as a house of prayer. And they're missing out on one of the biggest opportunities to reach the world around them. The people don't want to hear words. They want to see that there's a real God in heaven. God is able to hear and answer prayers. He is able to do so much and we need to be a type of people who know how to get a hold of God's prayers. And now we add this to our arsenal. That you have someone at work. You should be a type of person, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? Even if they keep saying, uh, there's nothing, there's nothing. One day, there's going to be something. One day, they're going to go through something and they need God to answer prayer. And you claim this promise and say, God, you told me. I have confidence that if I leave, bring a prayer from someone who's not saved and I bring it to you, I have confidence that you're going to hear for the purpose that they realize that God is real and them to get saved. That my house should be known, shall be called a house of prayer. You understand this affects how we do a day-to-day -day operation. You should be asking your neighbors, how can I pray for you? You should be asking your friends, how can I pray for you? Your co-workers, how can I pray for you? Your lost family members, how can I pray for you? And when they give you a prayer request, you take it seriously. I don't care if it's to find my lost dog, you pray. I don't care if it's to help my hangnail, you pray. You take those prayer requests and you bring them up to God and then you follow back up. Hey, I prayed for your dog. What happened? I prayed for that hangnail. Are you going to live? You talk to them. Because that follow-up is going to be important. 
If you fail to follow up, you miss the whole purpose of this in the first place. It is for them to realize there's a God who hears and answer prayer. And this is where faith steps in. Do you actually believe your God is big enough to bring back a lost dog? Do you believe that your God is big enough to help fix someone's car that you don't know what's going on with? Or to keep it going just a couple more miles? Do you believe that your God is big enough to help Aunt Susie in her prayer request? Is your God that big to put him to the test? To put him in the test in front of others? My God hears and answers prayer. Let me tell you, you have a promise here that if you bring a lost person's prayer request and you bring it to God, God will answer for the purpose of showing them there that we have a God who's real and answers prayer. Why don't we do that? Because we're afraid what if God doesn't do it? I don't want to be embarrassed that I prayed and God didn't answer my prayers. Don't let pride get in your way. Can you trust that God is big enough? That God is able enough. Our God is able. And that's prayer number. (coughs) Excuse me. Prayer number five. Let's look and see a sixth prayer that we could trust that God will answer when we pray it. Notice with me this principle here. When spiritual war rages against around us. When spiritual war rages around us. Notice this in verse number 34. If thy people go out to war against thy enemies, by the way, notice this phrase. This is a key here. I'm making sure you're claiming the right thing. If thy people go out to war against thy enemies, by the way, that thou shalt send them. And thou shalt pray unto thee towards this city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name. Then hear thou from heaven... From heavens their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. Alright, so this is dealing with spiritual warfare. But notice the clause here that thou hast sent them. Now there are times that we get in trouble because of our own actions. We messed up. We said something wrong. But this is the idea that thou hast sent them. So God says, I want you to go preach outside in the street corner. And you go preach outside and you get some people who yell at you and get mad at you. Now, we live in America. We're kind of safe, but still, we don't like to get picked on or yelled at or laughed at. If God sent us to do it and spiritual war happens because of it, we can trust and give the battle to God. Let God fight our battles for us. If God told you to go witness to a coworker, and you witness to a coworker, and this guy over here gets mad at you, Can you trust God? I was being obedient to him. I'm giving you the cause. I'm trusting you with this. Here's the idea that we were obedient to him. And there's consequences. And there are times that happen. This is what martyrs died for in the past. This is what they claimed. They were trusting God. I was obedient to you. And now these are the consequences that happen. It wasn't because I got myself in trouble. It wasn't because I opened up my stupid mouth. And I said something foolish. This is because I stepped out by faith. And I was obedient to you. And now there's consequences for it. I can trust you to win the battle. I can trust you to fight my fight for me. I could trust you to take care of it. So you're knocking on doors. And someone gets mad at you and yells at you in the door. Can you trust God to take care of it? You were just being obedient. You could trust God for it. 
You're passing out a track. And someone yells, you can't leave that here. We, can you trust God for the battle for you? Yeah, no, again, we're in America. We're safe. I mean, these are piddly things, but yet they're things that we are afraid of from time to time. Sometimes the spiritual warfare gets bigger. For example, in Canada, there are certain things that the Bible states that if I were to preach in Canada, I would be illegal and I could be arrested for hate crimes. But I'm just declaring what the Bible said. Could I trust God to win that battle for me? Yes. By the way, that's coming to America very, very soon. And it is already here in some places. There's already laws that are being passed, such as in California. That says the Bible is not allowed to be sold in certain places because it preaches against lifestyles that a lot of people want to accept out there. What do you do? Well, I'm going to be obedient. There's coming a time very soon coming to America that it is going to be illegal to have a Bible. What are you going to do? We don't have the ability to rebel, but we submit to God and the consequences and say, God, I'm going to trust you with this battle, whatever you see fit, I'm trusting you for. But it is when God sends us to battle, not because of our own consequences. Now, God is able to help us out here, but we're talking about when we have confidence that God is going to hear our answer of prayers. It's when God sends us out to spiritual war, we can trust that he can help us. Notice as we go on, we see one other prayer that God promised to answer. It's when we sin, we can always get right with God. You said this happened before. Yes, God is going back and placing a big emphasis. Notice again in verse number 36. If they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not. Now this is repeated in the Bible. For there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is where they get it from in Second Chronicles chapter number 6, verse 36. For there is no man that sinneth not. Everyone's a sinner. Every single one of us sin. But if they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them over before their enemies, that they carry them away captive into a land afar off or near. If they bethank themselves in the land, whether they are carried captive. It means it doesn't matter where they're at, you can be Go to God and say, God, I need help. God, I've sinned. Uh, the end of verse 37. We have sinned and done amiss and have done wickedly. If they return to thee with all thy heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whether they be carried captive and pray toward their land, which thou was given to their fathers and toward the city, which thou was chosen and towards the house, which I've built for thy name. Then hear thou from the heavens, even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. God once again wraps up to this big thing, because we're all sinners. At any time you can ask God, at anywhere. Now this is not saying that, okay, well, if I could pray at any time, I'm going to wait till later. That's not what this is saying. It's saying it doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed. You can get right with God Right now. There's nothing between you and God but space and opportunity. You don't have to jump through hoops. You just have to be willing to say, God, I messed up. I'm wrong. I need to be right with you. 
You can be right with God right now. You don't have to stay far away. You don't have to be wallowing in sin. You don't have to be in the midst of the consequences. You can get right with God right now. You may say, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't know what a sinner you are, but I know what a savior he is. He is willing to forgive you of anything and everything if you're willing to come to him. Again, part of the problem was when people get so far away, their heart lies to them and they say, I can't get right with God. I can't go to him. I can't get things fixed. I just can't. And God says, if you just ask, I'll forgive you. It's so all you have to do is go to him and say, God, I messed up. God, I'm sorry. God, I need to be right. And God says, you're forgiven. Come back to me. Be close to me. You know, there's no excuse for anyone to be afar off from God. You're always as close as you want to be. How close to, to God you are right now is because that's where you want to be. You could be as close to God as you want to be. You could be right with God. There doesn't have to be sin in between you and God. You can get things right at any time. And by the way, there's no man that hasn't sinned. You're going to sin today. I'm sorry to give you that news. You're going to sin today. But let me know you can get right with God. I'm not giving you permission to sin. Neither is the Bible. He's giving you hope that if you do sin, you can get right with God. You're going to mess up this week. Some of you are going to mess up really bad. Let me give you the encouragement. It doesn't matter how bad you mess up. You can get right with God. You just come to Him and God will hear and answer your prayer. He will listen to you. Now what goes on next is... That Solomon concludes his prayer and asking that he dwells in the temple. In chapter 7 verses 1 uh, and 2, God puts his spirit in the temple as proof that God heard Solomon's prayers concerning the idea of prayer and that God will heed and answer this. This is God's visible proof, his manifest proof that these seven things here that are listed are promises that God will always hear and answer. With all of these seven things, surely there's a promise here that belongs to you. Maybe you're not right with God and you know it. You know that there's some sin in your life that you haven't dealt with. Let me give you encouragement that you could get right with God today. In fact, it would be our great privilege to take the Bible and to show you from the Bible how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. That you could be right with God. Maybe you're saying, I just feel like there's things in my life. I don't know what's wrong. Well, if you ask God, we'd be glad to help guide you and God could reveal to you. Maybe you have a dispute with someone. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's just someone across the street who looks at you cross-eyed all the time. It doesn't matter what it is. You could leave that dispute with God and say, God, you take care of it. Maybe perhaps things are settled in all these other areas. But maybe you need to be looking for prayer requests of your neighbors. Of your lost family members. Maybe it's you that needs to trust God by prayer. And start grabbing these prayer requests. And you taking them to the Lord. For the purpose of God answering them. So you could go back and say. God answered your prayer. Let me tell you more about him. One of the greatest ways to reach the world that we have. Is that God has given us a house of prayer. A place where God, people know. They can go and have their prayers answered. And we need to be a type of people that people could say, I may not like them. I don't like how they live. I don't like what they say. 
but their God answers their prayers. You should be a type of person that all the co-workers that you have know if they ever have a prayer request, they can go to you. Is that the type of testimony that you have? Let me tell you, you can and you should because of the promises that God has given to you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.